and welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me always is my faithful sidekick, Court Winsett. Hello, how's everyone? <gasps> what? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you might be hearing a little bit of double today, because not only do we have one Winsett, but we have two. Yes, Court's brother is joining us today. Yes, uh, my brother uh, Byron is... Uh, an assistant district attorney general for the uh, for the, the in the county of Shelby in the state of Tennessee, and uh, he specifically specifically handles white collar crime. Uh, he is the head of the white collar crime division down there, and by down there I mean downtown uh, at the court uh, or at the the district attorney general's office. Um, so uh, we actually had him on today because we figured. Yeah, with financial podcast. Yeah, he handles financial crimes. He might have something that he could uh, that he could throw in there that would be interesting, and that way, people that are tired of hearing from us can uh, they can hear a new voice. So, welcome, Byron. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'll try to at least make something up. Well, there's the opening bell, and with it, financial crimes, maybe it's the prison bell. I don't know. Do they have bells in prison? I, I have no <laughs> idea. I just, not in the ones I've been to. Okay. Which is several. <laughs> okay, so before we actually get started with the the topic and and go go deep diving with Byron, let's uh, let's do our let's go ahead and get our top five out of the way uh, because we're dealing with financial crimes this time, white collar crimes. One of the people, one of the groups that is most significantly thought of when you think of financial crimes is obviously mob families, mob bosses, and so forth. So we figured we would do. Our top five real-life mob bosses as depicted in the movies. In the movies. In the movies. Katie, you want to give me your five? Okay, rapid fire. Number one, James Whitey Bulger, Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp. Yep. He was Irish crime, and uh, this was in Black Mass. Mm -hmm. Number two, sorry, Cord, I stole it. Bill the Butcher Cutting, Gangs of New York. I know, I love that movie. (sighs) So good. But quite frankly, I, I I mainly love it because you know it's it's old New York and it just it's cool. But it's it's awesome. It's a long one. Buckle down to see that. But yeah. like it's good. Moving on. Number three, <laughs> Al Capone, portrayed by Robert De Niro in The Untouchables. Yes. And uh, number four, from The Irishman, Frank Sheeran, Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. And then I'm repeating another one. Yeah. My five, John Dillinger, Johnny Depp. Public enemies. Okay, so you've got a thing for Johnny Depp, and you've got a thing for Robert De Niro. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, also, mob characters are very typecast. Just saying. So let's hear your five. (laughs) Okay, so my five. uh, I'm going a little bit farther afield. Uh, This is a pop culture. It is not a movie. It's a TV show. It's Narcos. It's it's a Netflix show. It's about uh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, good old Escobar. The Cocaine King, yes. Um, Cocaina. And it stars the Mandalorian. Yes. yes. Oh, nice. Uh, number four would be Frank Lucas. That's Denzel Washington from American Gangster. Mm-hmm. Heroin, I think. So I'm doing a lot of drug guys right now. Um, number three would be Bugsy Malone for, uh, with uh, Warren Beatty starring as Bugsy. Uh, how he started basically the casino scene out in Las Vegas. Nice. Interesting, interesting movie. Um, Frank Costello. Which was portrayed by Jack Nicholson in The Departed. Now, I do want to give you a, a, a little bit of a caveat here. There is a real mob boss whose name, I, I don't know if I should say that. There is a real gentleman. He's, a, I'm sure, a very nice guy. In case he's still alive, I don't want him coming after me. Uh, by the name of Frank Costello. But he he was more stationed in New York. And, of course, Jack Nicholson's Frank Costello character is more stationed in Boston. So uh. a lot of people think that his character uh, was really more based on 
one of the guys that you listed in your list, Whitey Bulger. Um, but, uh, but his name is Frank Costello and there is a real Frank Costello. So I'm throwing him in the list because if you haven't seen The Departed, it's an awesome movie and Jack Nicholson's amazing. And then finally, obviously, Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas as depicted by Joe Pesci. Nice. I mean, it's, how can you not? It is, it is awesome. And there was the top five. Okay, so now, guess what? Court's hungry. It's time for some meat and potatoes. Oh, Lordy. Okay, well, let, let's meet your brother, Court, because obviously, Byron, I'm sorry. I mean, I have to work with this guy all the time, and so obviously he's told me you were much cooler. <laughs> but, you know, he garbled at the beginning. Tell me who you are and why you're here today. Well, I am, as Court mentioned, an, an assistant district attorney with the Shelby County District Attorney's Office. And that is um, <clears throat> the district attorney for not only Shelby County, but the uh, 30th Judicial District. The state oh. is divided into 31, I believe, judicial districts. And um, each one has an elected district attorney. I am an assistant, which all attorneys in the office are assistant district attorneys. And I am specifically the chief prosecutor of the Public Corruption and Economic Crime Unit. Oh, fancy. Yes. So I can explain more about that a bit in a bit. But generally speaking, of course, our office represents the state of Tennessee, the, the people as a whole, in the prosecution of crimes, um, which means that I am an attorney, though I'm not your attorney or any other individual <laughs> person's attorney, and nothing I say today can be taken or used as individual legal advice. <laughs> Very but, nice disclaimer. Yes, thank you, thank you. But what I do and what the prosecutors in our office do is that uh, police or other law enforcement agencies bring in uh, accused crimes, alleged crimes, and we handle them in court. We prosecute them against the uh, defense that's represented by a private attorney. Wow. So I'm sure you have tons and tons of stories. Oh, yes, absolutely. And how long have you been doing this? Let's see. So I, I started as a, actually as a criminal defense attorney in 1997 with the Shelby County Public Defender's Office. Ah. And uh, then went through a couple of different things and eventually ended up joining our office in 2007. So I've been a prosecutor since 2007. And in 2008, I joined the unit that I'm in now. Um, and have been doing it since then. I, I, I think I'm the, the longest running special unit prosecutor in the office. Wow, you need a plaque or a badge to carry around? I mean, that's Oh, he's honor. got a badge. He <laughs> has got an awesome badge. I, he won't ever let me play with it, though. So, Aw, yeah. poor court. Yeah. Well, so today we want to talk about financial crimes and, you know, that term that a lot of people hear, white-collar crimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what is a white-collar white crime? Yeah. I mean, it's so first off, I do have to put this out there. I researched where this term came from, white collar crime. Mm -hmm. And there's sites that say 1949. But then the FBI website, which I'm going to trust the FBI website. It says it, it started, this term was coined in 1939. And it's with what it really means is the full range of frauds committed by business, government professionals, all of that. Okay. So I've always thought of it in terms of, okay, if you've got, if you've got blue collar workers, that's, that's your labor force. That's your, your, 
your you know your laborers mm-hmm. blue collar whatever I, I guess their shirts were were made of denim or whatever and so that's why they're called blue collars I don't know anyway white collars is the is the office gents the the guys that wear the suits with the white collars and the ties and that's I've always assumed that that's why they call it white collar crime uh, as opposed to to just crime crime because it's done by people in suits obviously <laughs> well Katie has done more research on that issue than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a huge bunch of it that's, you know, there's different scams, destroying companies, devastating families. Um, Today's fraud schemes are more sophisticated than ever. And the FBI dedicated a lot of skills to try and track down these culprits and stop these scams from happening. Okay. Um, I I guess it was last episode or two episodes ago, we mentioned Ponzi schemes, Court. You remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You were, you were big, you were, you, you wanted to bring up Ponzi. Well, it was interesting because I feel like I've heard the term Ponzi schemes and you hear it in movies and stuff, but I'll admit to everybody, I wasn't exactly sure what a Ponzi scheme was. And so really wanted to dive in and figure out what it was. And it's, I mean, it's a fraud. It actually goes back to Charles Ponzi, the OG, who um, he received large. It, it says it on. It says it on the internet. Court. I didn't just dub <laughs> that, him the OG. It means it's, it's, it it means it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he received large investments back in the 1920s. He would buy large quantities of discounted postage coupons and then move money around by paying the old investors with the newer investors money. His scheme ran for over a year before it collapsed, costing investors twenty million dollars. Which in today would be about two hundred and fifty million. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. But apparently, this was so. That's his name was Charles Ponzi. Yes. So that's why it's called Ponzi schemes. Yes. But apparently, he copied William F. Miller, who did this in eighteen ninety nine, known as the five hundred and twenty percent Miller, because he also did a Ponzi scheme before well, no, he before didn't. it was a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> you know, he did it before it was cool. You know. Oh, okay. Um, but he uh, ended up deceiving people into over a million dollars so which in today's dollars would be lots of lots, lots and lots of yeah yes, yeah lots of money. i have to admit whenever i see ponzi written out i think fonzie <laughs> uh and uh well, the fonz is cool ponzi's no well the, the, obviously the fonz is cool um so be like fonzie not like ponzi <laughs> Uh, you can okay. hashtag that court. So, so Cam. basically, when we talk about financial crimes, let's let's just let's go through let's go through a list here, like all of the financial crimes that we can think of. Go now, fraud. Okay, credit card check, yeah. mortgage, medical, corporate, securities, inside trading, bank fraud, insurance fraud, market manipulation, point of sale fraud, healthcare fraud. <sighs> That's a lot of fraud. Okay, so you mentioned insider trading. Who do we got? We got uh, we got. Uh, I mean. Most famous recently in terms of getting getting busted for, for wasn't, insider trading. Wasn't that Miss Martha Stewart? Well, Miss Martha would be definitely would be one, except she didn't actually go to jail for oh, insider trading. Yeah. She went to jail for lying to the FBI. Oh. <laughs> about insider trading, although she hadn't done it. So they they were not able to prove that she actually did any insider trading. That's right. Okay, that's right. But she lied about I don't know what it was. Uh, supposedly lied about something, and so she it's what we call a process crime. Oh, okay. Uh, Don't lie, kids. So, Don't do it. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because actually, um, you know, you, you, we list all these schemes and a lot of them involve the word fraud uh, that we call it, we're calling white collar crime. But over the years, I've actually come to the conclusion that essentially what is prevented by the law and what is criminalized by the law when it comes to fraud and white collar crime and that type of thing is, in fact, lying. If you lie... To get something you're not entitled to, mm-hmm. 
that's pretty much going to be a crime. It might be a computer crime. It might be theft. It might be, uh, you know, money laundering, for example, which is a, a complicated crime that we think about. But essentially what it is is hiding what you're doing with the money that you got from another crime. You're lying about where you got the money, if you have the money, you know, what you did with the money. It's all about, essentially, we don't like it if you lie and take money by doing that. Wow. I, that that boils it down. It and is. I think our parents teach us when we're kids, like, don't lie. Right. And really, it, it will save you from not committing white-collar crimes. It's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, thou shalt not... As is, thou shalt not steal. Yeah. yeah. So. so And in fact, somebody once put it that stealing is lying as well because... Holding out something as your own when it is not is a lie. This is my iPad. This is mine. This is now mine. Yeah. If you were to walk, if you were to take my iPad right now, which he's pretending to do, and <laughs> to just use it in his office, and like when you came in and you said, where'd you get that iPad? And he's like, oh, I bought it wherever. He'd be lying. Oh. And I stole it. Although Byron does know where he can find me, so. <laughs> yeah. But wasn't this something, we were talking on one of the episodes about, uh, if someone was squatting on your land, yes. and then they just say that it's theirs. Right. I've done that. I've, so, I've prosecuted you, those You've cases. squatted on land and stolen it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've prosecuted people who have. Oh. Yes. Hmm. Um, and that is theft. Very simply. That's what the charge was in that case. And and I actually, I've done more than one case like that. And at least one occasion, we've charged money laundering as well. Uh, again, huh. money laundering is, is usually essentially... Uh, hiding what you've done with money that you stole or you got illegally, more commonly maybe by selling drugs. But um, gotcha. Is that yeah. where in movies they reference like, oh, they've sent it to Swiss bank accounts and all mm -hmm. of that? Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, in the, we actually in the financial industry have uh, every year we have to take a, a whole class that's just dedicated to recognizing, identifying, and and reporting anything that we think might be money laundering because obviously, be, you know, dealing with money as we do. You know, anti-money laundering is a big is a big concern of ours. Making right. sure so big big yeah. banks have entire departments known as the anti-money money laundering department. Yeah, yeah. And then I think a lot of that recently that's come up is the elder abuse with uh, assets and people stealing mm -hmm. from them. Yeah. And we did an episode uh, last week, and it was about um, finances and relationships and how you sometimes have these guys that'll come in or girls, I'm not discriminating, but, um, will come in and make someone fall in love with them and just are stealing their money, getting everything to change to their name. So they make it seem like it's not that they're stealing, but really they're manipulating them. So, right. yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, more commonly what I see is not the love angle as much as the, what I might call, you might call an elder dependence, uh, angle. In other words, you have elderly people who, for whatever reason, don't have family around to support them or, you know, whatever, and they need help. Mm -hmm. And somebody, a friend down the street or maybe a professional caregiver will notice this and will start to help them with their mm -hmm. life and their life needs and get access to their checkbook, maybe even get on their bank account and do other things like that and end up taking their $200,000 worth of life savings. Oh, wow. Oh, so sad. But I mean, there, that's reality. There's real people like that every day doing this. Yeah. This yeah. is this is not, um, I think I looked at some statistics and this is kind of like your average Joes that are kind of doing these things. Yeah. I think the, the demographic was a white male with a college education um, who actually 
it is in the real estate industry of some capacity, yeah, which I, was crazy. But yeah, I don't know why it has to be so specific to it's it's white guys that are that are in real estate, but apparently white real estate guys they 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 really like their 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 yeah. I don't know, yeah. You know, I don't know about the demographics of it, but it's definitely uh, common. Actually, um, I think I, what I see is more often in people who have sort of that mid-level of life savings, maybe okay. two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. I guess the people who have millions of dollars in in you know some kind of life savings or investments, et cetera, are probably more sophisticated and also able to afford the assistance they need, both in financial dealings and in their day-to-day lives. Whereas those who are sort of on the line and have a significant amount of money, mm-hmm. but not enough to afford all that extra help, they're looking for someone and that, that kind of leaves them vulnerable. Mm. So you're saying that some people are actually uh, committing these crimes, but that it's potentially that it's potential, potentially they're doing it on accident. They're, they're, is that what I'm hearing? Like it, it sounded like what you basically said was rich people can afford to not get prosecuted for crimes because they can they they can afford to get help to 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 avoid committing such crimes. But the the, the people that are in the middle there they're they're just trying to save a buck, but they may go about it the wrong way and unintentionally commit a crime. No, I'm talking I'm talking more about <clears throat> the people in the middle are the victims. No, oh, okay, and so they don't have the resources to get the kind of professional help. Uh, of accountants and investment advisors and those types of people. And and they don't have the resources to hire someone to physically take care of them day to day. So they're looking for, you know, the lower end cost of that mm-hmm. or maybe a friend to help, which leaves them vulnerable because um, they're, first of all, putting their lives into one person's hands. And as, you know, anybody with accounting background knows that separation of duties is one of the things, one of the best ways to control and prevent fraud. And so they don't have that. They have one person who has access to their physical location, to their bank account and that type of thing. Plus they're not, they're not necessarily hiring from the upper end of professionals. Instead, they're just looking for someone who can help them. And those people, I guess, may be more likely to be criminal, criminally minded. Mm. Some Joe Schmo down the street could could potentially just be there and take advantage of them. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah. I said Martha Stewart, but you were going to say someone else, Cord. Who were you talking about? Uh, honestly, I don't recall. That was that was like two minutes ago, Katie. Okay, you can't expect I'm me sorry. to... sorry. Well, then why don't you talk about Enron? Okay. I know a lot Ooh. of people have heard that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, honestly, I'd, I've heard about Enron. I, I, I remember when Enron happened, but... I, Understanding what all went on there is is sort of. I mean, <laughs> I read a book about it. Oh, well, okay. It was extremely complex. I'm not sure that anyone really knows what exactly happened. Um, it was a lot of, of um, transactional inflation of asset uh, valuation. Okay, that was a lot of words that were big. (laughs) (laughs) Transactional inflation of... So when they engaged in a transaction where, you know, Enron was doing a lot of buying, all of a sudden they started, they started from a, you know, a fairly large company and went to this like worldwide mega company. And they did that by, um, mostly by buying, they were, they were trading in futures on energy. So they would say, California, you need um, so many gigawatts on, uh, you know, next month. Uh I will guarantee it to you. And they would go out and try to buy a future 
you know more about that than I do, a futures contract on the energy that they would need in a month for California. So they started doing that and then they started buying other companies that were doing that and they started just, you know, like any conglomerate and they started going across like into Africa and other mm -hmm. places like that and building and doing all this stuff. Anyway, in, there's thousands and millions of transactions going on. In those transactions, they were, there, there's always some room for somebody to say, well, it's worth a million when it's really only worth 500,000. And they do that over and over and over and over again. And so transactionally, they're inflating or increasing the estimated value, the valuation of that uh, particular transaction. And they do it over and over and over again until their books reflect a value of whatever. And it's so, you know, way more than it's actually going to produce in revenue. And that's one of the things that with futures and those types of things, you're trying to, uh, when you put it on the books in an accounting standpoint and account for it in your balance sheet, you're saying this is this asset over here, this plant in Africa is worth this much, which is based on how much revenue it's going to generate. Well, you overestimate that and you put it on the books as being way more than it's worth. And then people are, go, wow, their, their value is going up and up. And so stock investors then are willing to buy. Mm. And buy that stock and the price keeps going up because people keep buying. It's all just, it's all just imaginary. There's yeah. not all that value there. And eventually it gets so, it's like, it's a bubble. Yeah. Eventually it gets so overevaluated that. Um, so what I heard is exaggeration, which, okay, mm -hmm. lying. Right. So lying. it all goes Once back again, to lying. Lying to get numbers. Lying to get money. Yeah, so well, a couple of the other kind of financial crimes out there, um, you know, tax evasion. Obviously, you know, Uncle Sam, he, he wants his money, so tax. Yeah, don't, just don't mess with it. <laughs> As does the state of Tennessee. <laughs> yes, and we get a lot less respect than Uncle Sam. Oh, which is a lot of times. I I, I prosecute a number of sales tax cases. That's okay. one of the things I spend a good bit of time on, with the um, really very fine agents at the, at the Tennessee Department of Revenue. And, um, but we often see cases where one of the best pieces of proof that we have that somebody has committed sales tax fraud, which, in, which requires that you do it knowingly or intentionally is that we get their federal tax returns and they have reported the right amount of sales on their federal tax return mm. and only about half that on their state sales tax return. There they go lying again. There they go. Lying <laughs> to get money. Always the problem could get you thrown in jail. And um, lying to get money, lying to keep money. So basically, when we talk about tax fraud, especially when we, specifically when we talk about sales tax fraud, you're talking about companies that are that that obviously are required to charge sales tax and yes. then turn that money over to the state, and yes. they're 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 not. Yes, the typical sales tax fraud case involves um, small companies that collect the sales tax but don't turn it over to the state of Tennessee. Oh. So not only are they charging the sales tax, but then they're not even doing what they're supposed to with it. Right. Which is not, you know. Mother pus bucket. <laughs> Court, I think it goes back to what we've talked about in a lot of episodes. Everybody's driven by fear or greed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it sounds like there's some greedy people. And obviously they need some fear that they've lied and some it's going to catch up to them. Some people are just out there trying to make ends meet, you know. And that, Well, that's true, yes. too. <laughs> We see that in the sales tax cases because, again, you're talking about small companies, even sometimes just mom and pop, you know, mm -hmm. one, onesie, twosie type companies. And they are trying to make that margin and that, that 9 or 10% that you're charging that customer. I mean, that, that's in, a, in a, um, a liquor store or a, 
uh, in a, um, a, you know, quick stop or whatever, nine or 10% can make your margin. So you just keep it for yourself. And by the way, for just those people that are that that are outside Shelby County, outside the state of Tennessee, we've got extraordinary sales tax here because we we do not in the state of oh. Tennessee we do not have an income tax, a state income tax. So we've got a pr- pretty high sales tax. So when Byron says nine or ten percent, yes, we actually have a <laughs> nine or ten percent sales 9. tax. Nine point two five percent. Oh goodness. <laughs> okay, kind of fun. bribery. That, oh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, obviously this isn't when you're bribing your kids to, you know, eat their vegetables. They'll get some chocolate afterwards or something like for that. for me anyway. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll give you this and such if you'll do this for me. And my kids will look at me like I was crazy. Oh, I remember I was babysitting these kids once and I bribed them. I was like, if you will please just go to sleep next time I come and babysit, I'll bring you chocolate. It was two weeks later. Those kids remembered. <laughs> they remembered. I'm like, what? And they were like, where's our chocolate? Thank goodness I had something in my purse. I'm like, oh yeah, here you go. I read somewhere that bribery is actually probably the least reported crime. Hmm. Well, that that matches with my experience in that we don't have a lot of bribery cases. Hmm. Now, in Tennessee, bribery is defined to have to in, um, involve a government official. Nope. So, and I, and that, I guess that varies from state to state, but so that narrows your pool quite, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. And it narrows it to a pool of people who are fairly conscious of not, at least not, you know, getting caught if, if, (laughs) exactly. But also not, you know, not involving themselves in crime. They're public, their, 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 their duties are open to inspection. And so they tend to be very much more careful about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, we've handled a couple of bribery cases, um, and, and bribery is more like, it's kind of the reverse of the thing we've been talking about over and over again. It's more like giving money in order, lying about giving money in order to get something else that you want instead mm-hmm. of lying There's to get the silence. money. silence. <laughs> all I think of with bribery is like, I'm going to give you this, so don't ever talk. <laughs> I'll give you this if you shut up. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so one of the things that you have here on the list, Katie, I assume this is this is straight off of the interwebs. It's is, off the interwebs. Okay, sedition. Mm. Uh, you know, that's listed as a white collar crime, and uh, you know, sedition is 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 basically um, it, it involves people inciting others to rebel against the government. Generally, I mean, I suppose it could be a rebellion against something else, like a, a corporation or whatever. But generally, when I think of sedition, I think of inciting inciting rebellion against the government. And so I, I, I don't guess you probably, Byron, uh, have a whole lot of experience with prosecuting sedition. No. I think that that probably would fall under our violent crimes because mm-hmm. it's usually going to involve some at least violence or threat of violence. Yeah, yeah I would think uh, so. Such as at the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, or something yeah like that's, that. that's kind of what I, I was thinking of. I can't imagine. <laughs> um, so yeah, sedition on this list is probably the one that I haven't really had experience with. No, okay. okay, I just think it's fun to say embezzlement. You... You, you go around saying embezzlement on a regular I don't know. It's like, you thought I was crazy because as soon as I saw embezzlement on here, I thought to that Flintstones movie they put out that had Halle Berry in it and they're trying to embezzle and they blame it all on Fred Flintstone and try and use him as the one that, oh, he's the one stealing from the company, but really they're the one stealing. Mm-hmm. So I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy because well, you're like, I, mean, I was I just, too old. I didn't see the Flintstones. I'm sorry, but it it was, uh, it came out after, after, after such a time as I would have been interested in watching it. Um, well, embezzlement actually is the meat and potatoes ah. <laughs> of my practice. Ooh. 
I don't, a large percentage of what I handle on a daily basis is what would qualify as embezzlement. Now, we don't have that legal term or crime in Tennessee anymore. Okay. Um, when they passed the, uh, the, the uh, 1989 Criminal Reform Act, um, they, they redefined everything to fit under theft. Gotcha. So there's a very, there's the broad definition of theft that covers embezzlement. Um, they took away the fun word. Yeah. I mean, well, we on. still use it. Okay, good. <laughs> to just, just to identify, you know, what kind of theft it is. Okay. Mm. Um, but uh, theft is, is when you, um, when you exercise control over the property of another without their effective consent with intent to deprive them of that property. <laughs> And that was a textbook definition of yes. that. That was straight out of our crim law books. Um, <laughs> I, I deal with it every day. <laughs> Embezzlement is simply, in the old terms, would have been when you're in a position of trust and you do that. Okay. So most of my cases involve people in positions of trust, i.e. employees in some business who have the trust of their employer to deal with the funds of that business. And they just take a little for themselves mm. or a lot. Mm. So is this kind of like office space where he was taking the pennies? Isn't that what he did in office yes, space? Yes, right. Yeah. right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Which, and I think I saw somewhere that it was like the average company loses more than $9 per day per employee to fraud and abuse. So it's Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I got to think that that statistic includes stuff like an employee taking home a box of, of oh of, I'm sure it does but that's what it's all a snowball effect okay now first you take home you know paper clips paper clips then you take home the snacks in the pantry oh, then you, yeah. you know I don't know <laughs> the snacks it all started with the paper clips taking correct. home snacks <laughs> a lot of embezzlement starts with people thinking I'll just take I just I got man I'm five hundred dollars short this week and there's this pile of money sitting over here and I'll just I'll take it and I'll just put it back next week. Well, next mm-hmm. week comes and they can't put it back. And then the next week comes and they go, man, I'm short again. It's just, you know, okay, 500 more dollars and I'll just put it back. Well, before you know it, you've stolen $150,000. Mm. And we commonly see people estimate, actually underestimate their own theft. They generally estimate a third of what they have stolen. So they're just telling themselves that they're not in as deep as they think they are. Right. Or, or not, they, they're, they don't think they're in as deep as they are. Right. No. Assume, like even when you, when you catch them and you say, we have documentation that you've stolen $150,000, they go, no, oh, it's like 50. Mm. And <laughs> no, it's no, like 150 it. <laughs> and it's probably more than that. We just haven't found it all. Did you ever see Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, either of you? Absolutely. Okay. Do you remember the, the whole petty cash and she goes in there because it's this whole thing that her mom has left her in charge of the kids or was supposed no, to be the babysitter. Mom and, left a babysitter in charge of the kids. And the babysitter, the babysitter dies, dies and has the money for the whole summer on her person when they drop her off at the morgue. So Christina now they, Applegate, she goes yes. and gets a job with Rose. Yes, right on top of that, Rose. <laughs> I say that all the time around here. So she takes money from the petty petty cash box. There's mm-hmm. a box the petty cash that she's in charge of. Which and... do employee like do companies even have petty cash boxes anymore? Yeah. Some do? Okay. I, I haven't heard of it a lot, but I had a case uh, several years ago and, and that's what it was, petty cash and it actually she was this particular defendant was stealing not by taking the petty cash, but by using the checks that were coming in to replace the petty cash ah. and directing those to her own account. Hmm. Mm. Yes, I, I used to work at a nonprofit and we would take in large sums of cash 
And it would be one of those, we'd have to have all the documentation of that money coming in. And if they were, it was given to us offsite, it had to be records of like transporting it to the location and getting it in the safe. And I mean, it was just crazy, but it, was, it would be so easy. I could see for someone to be like, oh, well the, you know, cause it was fundraisers for like walks and stuff like that. Oh, they just miswrote the number on there that, you know, really it was $5 less and you just, you know, slide off the table, $5. So I could see someone if they're down on their luck and they're counting large sums of money, they're just like, oh, a little bit here. Let me, yeah. I need to get something. I had, I had a case that involved, I've had a couple of cases like this, but I had one particular case that involved a um, armored car employee. Oh. So armored cars, first of all, I won't tell you the secret. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, armored cars generally operate with a driver and what they call a hopper. Mm-hmm. Because I guess, I don't know, kind of like white collar crime, but like a hopper because he that he or she hops out of the vehicle and goes and gets the cash while the driver stays in there. And we actually, in this particular case, had it on video because the company where he's going to get the cash mm-hmm. has video of their cash room, of course. That oh, makes yeah. sense. And you can just, and there are four bags because it was a long weekend. So he's had, you know, four days of collecting cash and bagging it up. And he goes, this particular armored car employee goes in and you can see him like he's supposed to scan each bag as he puts it into his own bag to take out to the secure, you know, to the armored car. And he goes, beep, puts that one in the bag, beep, puts that one in the bag, puts that one in the bag. (laughs) See what I did there? It's like you forgot to beep. (laughs) Yeah, there were three beeps and four bags. (laughs) And so, mm. you know, $5,000 just comes up missing on his route. Oh, yeah, gosh. It happens several times. So with this, I've always wondered this. Um, you know, a lot of companies may give a company credit card. Yes. And it will be someone who's yes. trusted to go and use expenses. Yes. So obviously, I know there's some random people that it's like, it's happened to the best of us. You accidentally grab the wrong credit card and use it. Well, then obviously you go to your HR. You go to somebody and say, I made this charge on there on accident. Whatever needs to happen. But is that, a, I could see that be very tempting for people oh, putting yeah. charges on there. And if yeah. your accounting isn't watching it, then. <clears throat> yes, it's, it's quite common. And in fact, it's one of the more difficult situations because you have, um, first of all, you, in all of our cases, especially embezzlement cases, you tend to see hundreds of transactions over a period of two, three, four, five years before they get caught. Mm-hmm. So first of all, you have a lot of data to search through, whether it's the company accounting data or the credit card reports mm-hmm. for four years or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff to shift, sift through. Um, but you, you introduce questions of what level of authority did you have? What, and was it made explicitly clear to you what you could do with that company credit card? And mm-hmm. if you don't have that in writing for your company, I would suggest it. And anybody out there, I would suggest <clears throat> that when you give an employee a company credit card, you also make them sign that says, this is what I can use it for. And I understand that if I use it for anything else, that is theft. Um, because I'm not, you know, I'm not allowed to use it for anything other than company expenses, whether it's for paper or paper clips or, you know, company parties or whatever. But yes. Um, and then even after the fact, even if you did clearly explain to that person and you have it in writing what they were suspended on and what they weren't, they... People, we tend to see people going to Office Depot and getting plenty of paper and a big screen TV. <laughs> and then the next week they get some more paper, which really wasn't needed. So I'm not sure it was paper. <laughs> 
more paper and lots of pens and a digital camera. <laughs> and this company has 17 digital cameras. <laughs> and they don't need a, have a need for even one, except for maybe the company Christmas party. And then so you have to go through four years of credit card statements. And somebody has to sit there and look at each and every transaction and say, that is theft. That was authorized. And we also, we always err on the side of caution. We're, we're conservative in criminal prosecutions. And if we say, you don't know, then we're not going to charge that as theft. Yeah. So who does that, though? Is that somebody at your office that's going through all that? Or do you have somebody, like, if we're the victims of this kind of thing, do you, have, do you tell us, okay, go through and mark everything that's theft? Important question, because, yes, we do do that. We uh, don't have the resources. We don't have an internal accounting you know, department or that type of thing. Uh, an example would be that, like, like TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, they do have analysts who could spend time doing that type of thing, but we don't. We work a, a good deal with TBI, but not on you know vast majority of our cases. We don't have that kind of in-house resource, and so yes, we lean on our victims. Um, and you know, I always feel bad about that, and it, it's regrettable because you look at the victim and you go, okay, they've stolen one hundred fifty thousand dollars from you, and now you're going to have to spend ten thousand dollars of your own time going through all mm-hmm. of this figuring it out, highlighting it, putting it in a spreadsheet. But there's really nothing else we as a, as a local agency can do. I specifically have to lean on them and uh, we, you know, we do what we can to assist. But yeah, they're the ones who dig through it. Plus, they're the ones who know. Yeah. I can't look at your credit card statement and tell you if that's something legitimate or not. You've got to look through it and say, we don't have any reason to be going to Walmart. We don't actually mm-hmm. shop there for our company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm reading through all this. It's that people get away with it because they've done it for so long. Because like you said, several years. And it's like, oh, I'm getting away with this. And they think they're scot-free. And then it's like, oh, nope. Yep. It's just, it's. I, I think about the couple of times my credit card has been compromised. And it's usually <laughs> like a dollar charge at a limousine company. Right. Like, what are you getting at a limousine company for a dollar? And it's like, oh, they're testing it out yeah. and just doing small amounts. And yeah. they often just go straight to Exxon or wherever and just charge some gas to see if it's working. Yeah, um, that's yeah. what we went through and told everybody like checking your credit, uh, checking your credit card statements because identity theft is such a huge thing. And it's you might they will do those little charges, and especially Court and I were saying, you know, if you and your spouse share a card, you may just say, oh, well, they, they must have done that charge. Right, right. And you don't communicate and say, mm-hmm. wait, you know, are you doing those charges at Starbucks? Or are you doing you know, that charge at Target? And then bam, $700 charge somewhere. And it's yeah. like, okay, honey, do you want a shopping spree? What's going on? Yeah. Okay. So we've got, we've got, we're actually, uh, we've got just a little bit of time left, but we've got several different crimes that we haven't actually talked about. So I'm just going to throw them all out there. Uh, and I, I want to hear, Byron, how much you how much you deal with with this sort of stuff. Um, okay, first of all, you did mention identity theft. I mm-hmm. assume that that is something that you have to, to 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 deal with on a pretty regular basis. I deal with it fairly often, although I don't prosecute a lot of those because m- something I haven't mentioned yet is for me. <clears throat> you've talked about what is white collar crime for me for my unit, public corruption and economic crime. We have criteria for my unit, and my unit only handles cases that involve $60,000 or more worth of loss. Gotcha. You're not dealing with the small ones. Got it. Okay. And most identity theft is is well below that. Okay. Uh, Forgery. Yes. Forgery is quite common. That's uh, that's pretty common in, in embezzlement situations. Employee 
forges their boss's signature on the check, on mm. this, you know, hundreds of checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that quite often. But yes, in many different ways, we deal with forgery. Do you deal with, or, I mean, this, I always think this was, this would be the, the secret service, but you know, I don't know who would end up actually prosecuting it. I know they, they're, they're the ones that, that, that seek it out, but counterfeit, counterfeit money. We, we do from time to time. That is mostly a secret service thing mm-hmm. um, because they're charged with the duty of protecting the country's, uh, um, currency and of course we don't have state currency. In the Not world. everybody knows that. Secret Service. What do they do? They protect the president and then the cash. Yes. <laughs> and very, in, very in, important. Interestingly, they it's almost like a side job for them because they'll be working on a case with you and uh, and, and then they get called away for what's called protection detail, which ah. may be the president or it may be a local official or whoever, and they'll be gone for six months. These guys, these young Secret Service agents, have have a for, for some of them, I'm sure it's exciting for a lot of them, but it's it can be drudgery because they're like working one day on a case and they go, nope, tomorrow you are shipped off to Belize. Wow. You'll be protecting wow. the mayor of, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah. Okay. We covered, we covered pretty much computer crimes and elder abuse and all of that stuff. We, this, this sort of thing, it could be, we do want to say it could, it's, it's like that these types of crimes are crimes that could be committed by an individual, could be committed by a corporation, could be even committed by, you know, the mafia. Yes. Yeah. And it's victims don't discriminate. It it can hit anybody. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, corporations, governments, entire economies, it's, you know, small and big scale. Um, let me reemphasize what you said a moment ago, which is, or in, in some way you said, one of the best things you can do to help protect yourself is to keep an eye on things. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, whether you're a small business, if you're writing checks, or if you have wh- whatever it is, to review everything. And also on a personal level, identity theft is a good example, because if you're watching every transaction that goes through, uh, you know, and you're suspicious about it, then you you tend to catch things. It's... The people who get really victimized, we see them like, I didn't look at my checkbook for two years. Mm. <clears throat> Which, <clears throat> yep. Yeah, you, you got to take ownership of it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like we all need lie detectors everywhere. Right. <laughs> that, that would help a lot. We did out. Like, get, get you know, some of those like minority reports and stuff when you walked into the shop and it says, oh, hello, mister. It'd be like, lie detector. Like, they're lying. They're walking in lying to you. <laughs> Okay, well, that's lies, liar, liar. This little liar report. We need like robot voices. Come on, Katie. Just I was thinking Jim Carrey, liar, liar. Right. Oh, oh that's fantastic. The <laughs> bin is blue. Royal blue. We've already done that, but yes. Well, this has been awesome. The time has flown by. This has oh, been wait, so much let me, fun. Let me, oh, co- oh. let me cover one last thing, and then we'll do the. This has been awesome because I okay. I did want to point out to people. One of the things that I always like to mention is uh, check bouncing. Yes. Oh, yes. Big crime. We call that hot checks. Yeah. Uh, or worthless checks is the way that the statute is titled. Mm-hmm. 3914-121, if you're interested in looking up the TCA. <laughs> Sorry, I deal with this every day. And um, <laughs> yes, and that's where you intentionally or knowingly write a check when there's not enough funds to cover it. Again, you lie mm-hmm. by misrepresenting the fact that you have money. You know, when you give somebody a check and... You're essentially representing to them, there's money in this account. Mm. You're lying. <laughs> and you're getting money by doing it. Back to our theme. It's and why see, a the, lot the of reason, places don't take checks anymore, though. Well, the, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I know people who just don't wouldn't think of that as a crime. They'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to go make a deposit 
after, right after this, and and it'll be there to cover it, and mm-hmm. then they just don't, and the check bounces or or whatever. Well, I'm, I mean, if it happens on accident, then yeah, okay, I'm no, sure you're a criminal. Idiot. You're a criminal. That I don't I, <clears throat> crime. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we got that last one in there because I, it always fascinates me. The the I, the first time Byron told me about checks being bounced and that that they're actually pro- prosecuting people about this, I was like. Check bouncing? I'm, you know, I, I know people that bounce checks. <laughs> and that's that's an exception to our $60,000 rule. Oh. Our unit specifically handles all of that. There's a special statutory scheme, actually, that is intended to give you a chance to pay it back. Okay. So there is, in Tennessee, like, we try to get a hold of you and get you to pay it and give you a chance to pay it and give you every chance we can to pay it. But if you just refuse... See, you're trying to be nice. You're trying to be like... Yeah. You made a mistake. Let's fix it. So if you get a call about that from our office, Uh answer the call. Byron Byron is like Byron is like Dalton from from Roadhouse. Be nice (laughs) until it's time to not be nice. Exactly. (laughs) Well, this has been a lot to throw in here. I think we need to have Byron back. This has been fun. Right. I mean, I feel like I could probably just like I could take a vacation. You people probably yeah. You want to replace Court? We can do a simple (laughs) quiz. There you go. (laughs) Everybody, guess who this is speaking now? (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for coming by. Um, We we do we do a little thing now where we're going to wrap this up and try and encapsulate in just a few words everything that we have said in this episode. And boy, there's been a lot. So, Katie, why don't we do our bullseye? Katie, what is your bullseye? Wow. So there is a lot that is under white collar crime. Stuff I didn't even know about, like bouncing checks and all of that. Mm -hmm. But what I got from all of this is don't lie. (laughs) Just don't be greedy. Don't lie. Yes. Yes. Basically, don't lie. Uh, If you're lying because you either want to get money that is not yours or you want to try and keep money that is yours but that you owe to someone else, that is bad. So don't lie. I think it's the whole thing, you know, everything I need to know for life I learned in kindergarten. Don't <laughs> yeah. lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Yeah, yeah. Any so, of that. It's, it's so your bullseye is don't lie. My bullseye is don't steal. Boom. Bullseyes. That's, that's also just a side note, bullseye. Uh, apparently, don't try and explain the whole Enron fiasco because, boy, that was. Yeah, apparently there's a whole book on that. <laughs> Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there's the closing bell. You have made it to the end of yet another, albeit a different version of the Bullcast podcast. Thank you again to Byron, my brother, for coming out with us. Um, if you like your future you... new co-host. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not long for this world, ladies and gentlemen. But if you did like what you heard, um, please, if you have not already subscribed, feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and subscribe to the Bullcast podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and Katie, then you can um, go to the Bullcast Podcast website. That's bullcastpodcast.com. There's a little bio there. You can, if you want to suggest a topic that you'd like to hear about, obviously, you can leave a comment or suggest a topic. Um, you can also see some pictures of us on um, the Instagram. Yeah, that's right. We've got an Instagram handle. It's at Bullcast Podcast. And uh, Cameron, I think, is probably going to throw some pictures up there on that uh, on that Instagram of 
me and Katie and my brother. So you actually will be able to see what Byron looks like. He's a devilishly handsome man, if I do say so myself. Uh, and then obviously there's also Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter handle that's at Bullcast Podcast. And then finally, Katie and I work for Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about our amazing team and our boss and what we do, what our company does, you can go to that website. That is PicklerWealthAdvisors.com. That's advisors with an O, not an e. e. Ladies and gentlemen, I have given you everything you need to go forth and be happy. So, for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. And we are out of here.